Joshua chapter 1, I'll be reading verses 10 through 18 of this opening chapter. It is really the culmination. It is uh, the final real major uh, section of the opening chapter. Joshua chapter 1, beginning with verse 10, reading through the end of the chapter. Again, this is the word of the living God given for you. Let's heed it. Let's hear it. Let's heed it even as we as it is read. Joshua chapter 1, beginning with verse 10. And Joshua commanded the officers of the people, pass through the midst of the camp and command the people, prepare your provisions, for within three days you are to pass over this Jordan to go in to take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving you to possess. And to the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, Joshua said, Remember the word that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, saying, The Lord your God is providing you a place of rest and will give you this land. Your wives, your little ones, and your livestock shall remain in the land that Moses gave you beyond the Jordan. But all the men of valor among you shall pass over, armed before your brothers, and shall help them until the Lord gives rest to your brothers as he has to you. And they also take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving them. Then you shall return to the land of your possession and and shall possess it, the land that that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you beyond the Jordan toward the sunrise. And they answered Joshua, All that you have commanded us we will do, and wherever you send us we will go. Just as we obeyed Moses in all things, so we will obey you. Only may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. Whoever rebels against your commandments and disobeys your words, whatever you command him shall shall be put to death, only be strong and courageous. Amen. This is the word of the living God. A pastor and his wife had the pleasure uh, one evening of spending time with the former astronaut, General Charles M. Duke. He was asked, once you were there, that is to say on the moon, Once you were there, weren't you free to make your own decisions and carry out some of your own expectations? You know, sort of do what you pleased. Maybe stay a little longer if you liked. Duke replied, sure, if we didn't want to get back to Earth. He then described the intricate plan, the exact and precise instructions, the essential discipline, the instant obedience that was needed right down to the split second. He then mentioned that when they landed on the moon, they were somewhat heavy. He was referring to their fuel supply. They had plenty left. Guess how much? One minute. The pastor got the distinct impression that a rebel does not belong in a spacesuit. Whoever represents the United States in the space program must have an unconditional respect for authority. Well, in much the same way, the same is true in the church. While I would question, of course, the idea of an unconditional respect, the reality is that in the church, the last thing we need are rebels. The church does not need them. It needs servant leaders and submissive followers. It is the way the church is constructed. There are elders and there are members. None of these people are infallible, none are perfect, yet in God's wisdom he gave the church pastors and teachers and elders to serve and guide the sheep until they reach their eternal rest. 
And so the question comes as we consider these verses here before us this afternoon, as we consider really the subject of authority and obedience. First, to the elders, are you serving the people? How and in what ways? This is not some nebulous idea that you simply say yes to the question. How are you doing that? Make a list. Be specific. Do you guide them through careful, wise, biblical instruction because you have immersed yourself in the Word of God? Do you pray for the sheep? Are you setting a godly example in front of them? Members, sorry, you're not off the hook. Members, are you heeding the voice of your pastor and elders as they speak the words of Christ to you? You seek their counsel and wisdom. Are you faithfully keeping your vows of membership before the Lord? The context of our passage is one that falls right on the heels of the great, the great assurances and hope that the God of heaven, Jehovah himself, has given to Joshua. Here he takes the reins from Moses, the servant of the Lord. You read, even in your hearing already, multiple times in these verses from 10 to 18, how many times did you hear the, Moses, the servant of the Lord? Moses, probably and arguably the quintessential figure in the entire Bible outside of Jesus Christ. You've heard me say that many times. Joshua takes the reins from this, this, this larger-than-life figure, a daunting task nonetheless, but here echoing in his ears now as he's heard the instructions of God and the assurances that he's given to him, he now sets forth to carry out the instructions that Yahweh gave. Those instructions that came through the living and active voice of God speaking words into his mind and in his heart to the new leader of the people of God. Of course, it's just reasonable to think that if God is giving commands to Joshua, that he's going to need help in carrying them out, which is to say that he's going to need people who will submit to his authority and labor diligently in obedience, not necessarily to him ultimately, but to God alone. So I want to show you from these verses here in this narrative this afternoon that God's leaders have real authority which has specific and godly characteristics, and that God's people are to submit and obey them. It's really not complicated. I'm going to show you that this text is teaching us through a real, live, historical event that happened in the life of the people of old, that God's leaders have real authority, which has specific and godly characteristics, and that God's people are to submit and obey them. Two points as we consider these verses, verses 10 through 18. First, we will see the authority of God's officers. And then we will uh, see and take up the obedience of God's people. The authority of God's officers and the submission or obedience of God's people. First, the authority of God's officers. First, note the source of their authority. It wasn't a proclaimed authority on their own account. It wasn't that which they just took to themselves. 
I highlighted this briefly in the previous sermon in which Joshua was called by God and, and, and called apart by the Spirit of God to labor in the capacity in which he is now functioning. He didn't call that to himself. He didn't get up one day and walk up to Moses and say, I'm going to be the next, I'm going to be your successor. Aren't you glad? No. Joshua served alongside Moses as an apprentice, as it were. He learned from Moses. He was trained by Moses. Many things went on, but it was, the, it was God himself who saw in Joshua something, and he set him apart for the work. He was not ordained, not from men, but indeed by God. It wasn't even really a popularity contest. God didn't even hold the vote. At least here in our Presbyterian context, uh, we vote, you vote for men that you uh, believe God has set apart for the office of elder or deacon. You vote to call a pastor into this pulpit. You call, you vote to do these things. It's, but God is still doing it. You are the means by which He is accomplishing these things. No, instead of being ordained from men, Joshua was ordained by God, called directly by Him. If back even in verse Deuteronomy 31, not too many pages previous to where we are, in Deuteronomy 31, verses 14 and 15, And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, the days approach when you must die. I'd like to hear that. I mean, I'm thankful. I don't know the day of my death. It could be today. It might not be for another 20 years, but be that as it may, I don't know, and I'm glad. Moses knows the days are approaching. It's coming. It's almost here. Call Joshua and present yourselves in the tent of meaning that I may commission him. And Moses and Joshua went and presented themselves in the tent of meeting, and the Lord appeared in the tent in a pillar of cloud, and the pillar of cloud stood over the entrance of the tent, the very presence of God himself, there commissioning this man. Too many times in the church we see men take to themselves authority they don't really have. Why? Because they proclaim themselves to be the authority. This is not how it's done in the church. It should never be done that way. Sadly, it is done way too often, far too often. It sometimes happens even in Presbyterian churches of all places. Joshua did not do any such thing. He was a servant and he served. God himself called him to serve as leader of the people. So the source of his authority is rooted in God himself. Second, the characteristics of his authority. The characteristics of his authority are highlighted for us even even as uh, this narrative unfolds. Notice, and Joshua commanded the officers of the people. He didn't sit idly by now after hearing the words of Jehovah. There was no idleness in him. He was busy about the work of the ministry, if you will. He was busy about the job, the task of leading the people of God. Then Joshua commanded, as it could be even translated that way, immediately on the heels of Yahweh's instructions. No idleness in him. One commentator points out very clearly that the longer we delay, the more reluctant we are to comply with God's requirements. 
There wasn't much delay between the time that Jehovah spoke and Joshua began to work. Delay itself, he says, is disobedience. Procrastination evidences a lack of heart for the divine precepts and an absence of concern for the divine glory. Now, as one who can be sometimes tempted to procrastinate and put things off till tomorrow, what I could do today, we all know that expression, why do today what I could, do to, what I could put off until tomorrow? Well, it is an act of disobedience. Elders, especially leaders in the church, should not be idle. They should be busy. Elders of the church are to be busy doing what? Well, shepherding the people, for one. This is not a passive enterprise, and nor is it something that's always easy or even convenient. But if you're not going to do that, then don't be an elder. Second, elders of the church are to be busy teaching and discipling the people. They are to teach them right theology. Even as Joshua here gives the express commands of God to the people, he doesn't change the message. He only speaks what the message is to the people that God has told him. Theology matters. It is impossible to shepherd without a grasp of the doctrines of the church. It would be impossible for Joshua to give directives to the members of the church here of old if he did not understand that which God had told him. But he did. Elders of the church would be busy praying for and with the people. No idleness, no discouragement. I know you're thinking, right. Yeah, I know, I'm thinking it too. There are times, indeed, as an elder in the church, and I'm not going to speak for all my brothers in this room, but I can't speak for me, that discouragement can sneak in there very easily. Typically, the discouragement comes uh, to an elder in the church when things don't happen the way they think it should happen. The fruit isn't coming fast enough. People are letting them down. And all that shows is that the expectation is not where it should be, but is in the behavior of people. Note that Joshua seeks to encourage the people in their moving forward. He doesn't sit back in idleness. He doesn't seek to be a nothing leader. Instead, turns the message of God into something to use to encourage the people, even as he tells them in verse 11. Pass through the midst of the camp and command the people, prepare your provisions for within three days you are to pass over this Jordan to go in to take possession of the land that the Lord, that the Lord your God is giving you to possess. No discouragement passed on to the people, but instead a means by which he encourages them of the promise of God. There's a battle ahead and they need to be encouraged. Encouragement that ultimately comes from Jehovah. I could elaborate so much more on this, but I think I'll just go on to the next one. No forgetfulness. No forgetfulness. Leaders of the church are to be busy constantly, what? Reminding the people of God of their obligations before Him. I know you may grow weary of being reminded of things, but Joshua reminds the people. Verse 13, remember the word 
that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, saying, and there he's, of course, speaking to the two and a half tribes, the Transjordan tribes of Israel. But he's reminding them of the command. And frankly, the Bible often repeats itself. Why? Uh, because we are hard-headed. Maybe I'm just hard-headed, but be that as it may, it reminds us often of things that we've heard 8,000 times, and eventually the light bulb goes on. How many times from this pulpit have I tried to encourage you or remind you of certain things And I'm sure I've said it more than once, more than twice, probably 15 times. I've been here two years. Who knows? Anybody keeping score? But I do that because I know the propensity to forget. And so Joshua, as a faithful leader, is one of the characteristics of his authority. He's not idle. He doesn't heap discouragement on the people. And he reminds them of all that God has said. But what about his behavior? It's all nice to have the authority. It's great to have the title. To even maybe do some of these things that are here mentioned. Certainly not exhaustive characteristics of that, of those who are in authority in the church. But what about their behavior? You know the old expression, you know, words are cheap. Actions speak louder, right? Behavior of those in, the, those in authority in the church, here Joshua emulates these, there's a conviction. A conviction rooted in the very unchangeable word of God. That is to say that they speak God's word to the people. They do not speak their own wisdom, but only that which comes from above. You want to get in trouble as an elder in the church and as a pastor in the church, you start throwing in opining your own concepts, your own worldly philosophies, your own things, and you will get in trouble really fast. And I'll tell you who's going to get you in trouble. Not the people, because they love that stuff. Itching ears. No, no, the God of heaven. He says that, Paul says to Timothy, look, preach the word. Ah, Preach all this other worldly philosophy junk. Preach the word. Just preach the word. That is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. It will accomplish the purpose. Just just do that. If you do that, you'll be successful. Don't worry about the rest of it. Pretty simple. Hey, except nobody's doing it. Well, maybe I should be more charitable. Few are doing it. The true minister of the gospel, the true elder, the true minister of the gospel is neither a pope nor a mere figurehead, says one commentator. He's right. He goes on to say he is to behave neither as Diotrephes, lording it over God's heritage, nor as a sycophant which is, who is subservient to others. There is a happy medium between conducting himself as a blatant dictator And by the way, I've been accused of that, but not here, thankfully. I appreciate that. And a servile flatterer. There are far too many preachers today who act as though they are begging their hearers to do do Christ and his cause a favor. Ever heard sermons like that? Man, just, why don't you do Jesus a favor and just, you know, okay. They are so apologetic, fawning, and effeminate, they have forfeited the respect of real men. 
These things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority, Paul says. Let no one despise you, Paul says. The most effectual way for ministers to secure themselves from contempt is to keep close to the doctrine of Christ and imitate him, says Matthew Henry, and he taught as one, that is Jesus, taught as one having authority. Now Joshua has real authority given to him by God, and how does he use it? What is his behavior? He has a conviction rooted in the very word of God as he reminds the people there that which God has said already we see how he has a he has a deep affection for the scriptures for the word of God given frankly if you're a, an elder in the church and have no regard for the bible then quit second he has a real concern what's the concern a concern for unity the Apostle Paul's greatest concern for the church, I guess it could be argued, but I might argue, that his greatest concern for the church was that they would be one. There would be unity amongst the people. Why? Because it's so easy to split over dumb issues and minor inconveniences, petty differences of personality misunderstandings, and it brings shame upon the church. But here we see Joshua emulating this in verses 12 through 15 when he appeals to the two and a half tribes of Israel by saying to them, look, we realize, I understand that Moses has granted you land east of the Jordan. That is to say, on the side of which they're leaving But he says, remember what you're supposed to do. You were supposed to join with your brothers on the west side of the Jordan to help them fight and labor and take the land. What is he saying? He says, you need to work together as one people. You need to help your brothers and sisters out as you go across this until the Lord gives rest, until they reach their rest. Until we reach, until we reach our rest. What is that? When the Lord returns, when we enter that eternal rest, we are to labor together as a people. Yes, every one of you are different. I can attest to that. I could go around the room and embarrass all of you, telling you how you're different. And then I'll end with me and really blow your mind. We're all different. God puts a bunch of people together in a building, in a room, in a church. We're all different. We come from different backgrounds. We're to work together to get the work done. What's that work? The glory of God, his kingdom, advance that we might then reach until we then reach our eternal home. There's a conviction in the word of God. There's a concern that they would work together under the rubric of the word of God. There's a conscious awareness of the needs of the sheep. A conscious awareness, not not a haphazard one, not a nebulous one. Well, yeah, the sheep have needs. I know that. Well, that's everybody knows that. That's why they're called sheep. A conscious awareness. Verse eleven, in the very beginning of the verse, pass through the midst of the camp, command the people, prepare your provisions, for within three days you are to pass over this Jordan. This is going to be an arduous task. He says, prepare your provisions. Make ready. Gather what you need. Be equipped. 
Make sure you got plenty of water. There's an awareness of the things that they will need as they enter into this battle as they cross the Jordan River. And elders of the church must understand the gravity of their office. The gravity. Just as Joshua understood his, we too as elders must as well as being ones that are responsible for the souls of men. It's an eternal matter. Nothing greater. The writer of the Hebrews says as much in Hebrews 13 in words you know all too well. Elders, shepherds are going to give an account for how they shepherded the people. Third, I think it's three. It's not three. It's another number, but whatever it is, careful understanding that the sheep are in a battle. A battle for their soul. The flesh, the world, and the devil are daily competing for them. Prepare, he tells them. Prepare. Elders are to help the members prepare for these things, to equip them for it. My last call, I was told that the previous minister of the church didn't think it was his job to feed the people. Now, whether that's true or not, I do not know. I was not there. But what is shocking to me that is to, to think that any minister of the gospel would actually say that out loud. Never mind think it. It is certainly one of the jobs of a minister and certainly a job of an elder to, prepare, to help the people prepare and labor and work in this world that is so hard at times. Finally, a concrete understanding that their master is not the people. Joshua knows who the boss is. He's not confused. It's Jehovah. But he's there to serve the people. And so this, what I say to my elders often, and have said to you as a congregation probably once or twice, elders are the servant of the people, but they, the people, are not the master. I'm sorry, I hate to tell you this, but you're not my boss. Jesus is. What does that mean? That means I'm going to serve you to the best of my ability. But, you know, there may be times when I'm going to do something or decide to do something as an elder or the session may decide to do something that you just don't like. But Jesus does. And that's where the goal and that's where the emphasis must be. Joshua certainly knows that as he seeks to lead and guide the sheep that he's been charged to care for. In truth, the onus of this entire system, the way it works and the way it falls out, frankly, the burden is on the leadership. Bad leadership, bad followers. The spirituality of the church will never ascend higher than the spirituality of the session. Ever. That's why it's so vitally important to have godly men serving. Men committed to these things and many others. Because it's difficult, isn't it, to be an elder in a church who is not doing at least these things and many other things to then impart to the people a desire to see them submit to you. Why would they do that? 
In much the same way in a marriage, when the husband's a tyrant, a bully, a jerk, he's not leading, he's not guiding, he's not shepherding his wife, and then he turns around and says, well, you never do anything I tell you. You need to submit. That's it. Well, yes, that may be true, but boy, you're making it hard for her. But that doesn't change the fact that Joshua here calls the people to obey. You see that first in the promise, and Verse 16, they, who's they? The people, the commanders, and those that he was speaking to, the officers of the people, verse 10, they answered Joshua, all that you have commanded us we will do, and wherever you send us we will go. Kind of reminds me of the Marines. Maybe nobody knows that joke. Maybe you won't find it funny. When I was in the Army, the joke was that, you know, Marines are so brainwashed, if you throw a handful of sand against a brick wall and yell, charge, they'll do it. Well, in some sense, this is what they're saying. We respect you, Joshua. You're the man of the Lord. You're a man of the Lord. You're you're a man of God. You are called by God. You care about our needs. We respect you. We will do what you tell us. We will obey, they said. As members of the church, we made or will make promises to submit to the governance of the church and maintain its purity and peace. I can't even begin to tell you how many times I've seen members of the church just dismiss this vow like it doesn't even mean anything. Like they they never even meant said it. Out the door they go, or they stay in the church and cause trouble. It's easily dispensed by people. Those that do will be held to an account in this life or the life to come. That much I'm certain of. Faith precedes obedience. Obedience is the fruit of an active, lively faith. These people believed by faith the words, not of Joshua, but of Jehovah. And as a result, they obeyed. That is to say, brothers and sisters, when you hear a sermon that is faithful to the word of God, it's not that you're obeying me. And by all means, obey the Lord. Do what he says. Listen to him. Second, there's a prayer. As they seek to obey, they actually pray. Verse 17, just as we obeyed Moses in all things, so we obey you. Only may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. Kind of a short prayer, not exactly my kind of pastoral prayer, but it's a prayer. May the Lord be with you. A benediction, as it were, a blessing. Why? Because because they understand that if God is not with Joshua, the leader of the people, if he is not helping and supporting him, they're doomed. You see where their confidence is? Not in Joshua so much as it is in the Lord himself. And so they bless Joshua and they pray for God's blessing to be upon him. I can't even begin to tell you that how vitally important that is for the membership to heed and recognize and to pray for their elders and pastors. There's absolutely no way a man can do this job. And I say job not in the drudgery way. You know what I mean by that. This calling, this office, without 
God's help in a whole lot of it at times. No pastor or elder will be ever successful in the ministry and shepherding the people without prayer. Prayer for him and from him. There are two examples in Joshua that highlight the absence of prayer and which led in to misery. It was Charles Haddon Spurgeon who some regard as the Prince of Preachers, the greatest preacher that ever lived. I realize that's, you know, a subjective thing, but, you know, whatever. It doesn't matter. He was a great preacher, regardless. You know what he attributes his preaching to? Not his intelligence, not his studies, not his library, not his uh, ingenuity. uh, No, to the prayers of the saints. That's what he says. In fact, there are times when he was preaching, and I'm not sure if it was every time or just sometimes, but in either case, there were times while he was preaching a a sermon, there would be a room somewhere in the building in which there were people, I think somewhere in the hundreds of people, praying for him as he was preaching. So pray. You want godly leaders? Pray for them. You want godly leaders to come out of this congregation that aren't yet there? Pray for God to bring them there. But pray. I wonder how many times members in the church get all upset with the elders, and then when the, if they were asked, gee, I wonder, are you praying for these men? And their answer is no. It's like, well, gee, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm shocked that you're having so many problems. Pray for the leaders. And as these people seek to obey, they give reinforcement, they give encouragement to Joshua. What do they tell him? Be strong and courageous. They're encouraging him as he encouraged them. They're encouraging him. But they encouraged him how? Note, it's almost a direct quote from what God told Joshua in the first nine verses in that sermon-esque section. Verse 9, have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous? The people say, only be strong and courageous. Makes you wonder if they were actually there when God was giving these instructions. Listening. But they encourage their pastor, their leader, their elder, what, how? With the Word of God. As He has encouraged them with the Word of God. And notice also their posture or their attitude. They took it seriously. Imagine, friends, if we had vows in the PCA Book of Church Order and vow number six said, if you don't obey and submit to the elders, you gotta, you're dead. Anybody want to join? We don't have that, right? It's right here. Here it is. What, what do they say? Just as we obeyed Moses in all things, so we will obey you. Only may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. Whoever rebels against your commandment and disobeys your words, whatever he, you command him shall be put to death. Wow. Well, that was the mean God of the Old Testament. He's a little nicer in the New Testament. No. What are we to make of this? Well, in one sense, I think the idea in the New Testament for this is a matter of excommunication. And I think easily could be said is that it heightens the issue 
of its, of its seriousness. It's serious. It's life and death. And we must see that. To not obey the words of Joshua is to functionally deny the word of God and disobey him. I probably should take functionally out of there because that's exactly what it is. Elders in the church are to watch over your souls, which is an eternal issue. A picture of church discipline, rebellion, and disobedience can never be tolerated in the church. It must be carefully, gently, yet firmly addressed. There's one example even in this book of Achan. Didn't obey. Died. I almost wonder if the narrator here isn't setting us up for that event here in just this opening chapter. We have in the church of Corinth, a member of the church who was excommunicated, 1 Corinthians 5, uh, for their sin, a form of death. But however you want to take that, one thing is certain, the attitude of the members about the following the godly leadership of the elders is a serious, serious matter. Interpret the rest of it as you will. That much is certain. It's so certain that General Charles Duke determined to do whatever he wanted to do. Never mind the instructions of Houston. That's the command center, by the way, if you don't know. Never mind the instructions that Houston is giving to them as they are on the moon. If he decided to do his own thing, I'm not listening to you. I'm not going to submit to the authority around me. I'm going to do my own thing. I think it's safe to say that the results would have been cataclysmic. But the same, my friends, is true in the church. The history of the church proves it time and time again. When members decide to do what they want to do and elders fail to lead biblically, disaster usually results. It's just difficult to avoid. Satan would love nothing more than to seek and devour and divide. And that's how he does it. Obedience and submission to leaders from those in the church is much easier, of course, when the leaders of the church are godly examples. Not perfect. Now, one elder in this church is perfect. I can assure you of that, and I'm one of them, and I can tell you definitely that. But I don't know any of these men in this church that go out of their way to not labor to do what's right. They're growing just like you are. Understanding that, of course, it's so much easier for the members to submit to the authority of the elders and the leaders in the church when those men are godly people, living godly lives as godly examples. So some practical suggestions in light of this narrative in front of us. One, elders... Hey, if you want to get to the point in life where you can stand up in the pulpit and preach to elders, you know, go get ordained and then you can do this. But I'm an elder, so I'm speaking to myself. Elders, immerse yourself in the Word of God. A lot of great books out there, I read them. But if you're not reading the Bible and you're reading everything else, then you're, you're messing up. Read the Bible. Think about the Bible. Memorize the Bible. 
Structure your life around the Bible. Structure your home around the Bible. The Bible. You should bleed Bible if you were cut open. I don't know who said that, but somebody did. I think it was Spurgeon. Seek to know as much as you can about the Bible so you may be thoroughly equipped to lead the people of God. Because frankly, without that, you've got nothing. Nothing. And no respecting member of the church is going to listen to you if you don't have Bible coming out of you. Members, remember your vows. Maintain the purity and peace of the church. Pray for your elders and your pastor. Be encouraging to them in word, but more importantly, in action. And I mean that. I, I can't even begin to tell you. Look, I, I appreciate the kind words that come from time to time. But you want to encourage me? Here, it's real simple. Do what you hear. Hear the word of God preached. Insofar as it's faithful to the word of God, do what it says. That'll encourage me. What do I pray for you most? That you'll hear the word of God and you'll do what it says. So pray for us as elders and pray for us as we labor among you, even as Joshua labored among the people, even as they try to encourage him and he them. Be encouraged in them in word, but more importantly in action. Jesus Christ is really the best picture in this passage. Now you're thinking, when's he going to get Jesus in here? Well, here he is. Mindful of that story, you know, of, well, he wasn't in that passage. Well, you put him in there. He's in there. Well, I'm putting him in there. Jesus Christ is the best, best picture of this passage, isn't he? How's that, you might ask? Well, he was the perfect elder. He came to do the will of his father. And he did his will of his father. He preached the will of his father. He preached the words of his father, not his own. He was the perfect elder. He shepherded the people, even those knuckle-headed disciples. He shepherded them. He cared for them. He loved them. Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? He restored him. But he was not only the perfect elder, he was also the perfect member. He not only taught the people the words of his father, he obeyed the will and the words of his father. Just as Joshua led, he led. Just as Joshua taught, he taught. Just as the people obeyed, he obeyed. If that's all true about Christ, then how much more should it be of us? How much more should it be a mark of the membership of this church and, and the eldership of this church? If it's not, there's issues Resolve them. Pray, plead, repent, do what you got to do. But a church that works together in that way, well, Satan's not going to like it very much. Work together, serve one another, heed your shepherds, pray for them as they you. Be that which Christ so plainly emulated. Amen. Our Father, we thank you again for your word and the kindness in which it's offered to us. These things, even these real stories of the Bible, the facts all highlight for us 
such important truths for the life of the church. And so, may you help us and strengthen us in these things. We are prone to wander, and so help us. May the good shepherd of the sheep continue to God intend to his people, we pray for Christ's sake. Amen.